All right. Hello, all, and welcome to the first ever episode of E Bard's Two Cents. Today, we are here to talk about linguistics and how it relates to famous speeches from history. Today, we have a special guest who, in my opinion, is a walking, talking history book. This woman was born in 1936, living a life which has spanned over eight decades, and who happens to be my nana, allow me to introduce Myrtle Baird. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I'm going to ask you questions about three famous speeches, which you happen to have been alive for all of them. Then I'm going to ask you how you can relate these speeches to the three elements of linguistics that you and I have been talking about this whole finals week. Do you recall the three elements that we're going to talk about? I'm putting you on the spot. Language and communication. Boom, that's one. Then we have pragmatics. Pragmatic and... Language and power. So this whole podcast is centered around those three. But I wanted to put in your love of history and my love of history. And I found out a lot from you this past week. Main thing I've learned this week from you is that you were alive during Churchill's. Yes, I was. I was five years old. When he gave his speech. Yes. And... Obviously, I don't really remember that speech, but I've heard it referred to many times, and I've heard many other powerful speeches that he gave that gave courage and uh, pride to the free world. Yeah, I completely agree with you. For what we're referring to is his speech, I believe, from World War II, 19... 41, was it, Grandma? Yes, it would have been. So his speech where he was talking to the country of England, rallying them, and he says, never give up, never give up, never, 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 never. Yeah, it was at that time that England was at its lowest, probably before uh, or right at the time the United States entered the war. Correct. I'm, I'm not a big buff on that yet, but since studying linguistics and how Churchill was really great with linguistics and his power of speech, I'm trying to recall, did he, was that his own? I'm looking it up in my paper right now. He said, never give up, never, 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 never. That was not, that was his own original work, correct? I believe it was. Okay, because he's quoted other famous people. Yeah, that was his original Speech, do you recall why we picked or why I chose Churchill? Yes, because we were discussing this, as we have been all week, and you were calling your aunt, and she suggested the speech and uh, quoted it to you. And from that speech, this whole program has uh, come about. Yeah, this whole presentation based off of Churchill's famous speech of never give up, never give up, never, 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 never. I took that speech and I felt it was a fantastic example of language and power. Because as I've told you countless amounts of times this past week, language and power for centuries have been competitors, each striving to be at the forefront of cultural dynamics. The sharp reality being 
language cannot exist without power. I'm going to quote the textbook we used for this linguistics class I've been in the past 15 weeks. It's Language Files 12th edition. It's, I believe, from the University of Ohio is the author slash publication, but that's not the point. The point is, in our textbook that we have been studying, it says, language is also a powerful tool for establishing more global power relationships within and between entire communities. So if I ask you, if you can think of a historical example of that, of language and power, you'd choose Winston Churchill's? Yes, I would. Awesome. I want to circle back real quick and ask you, what is language to you? There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer to you. What is language? Language is is words that you uh, use to communicate thoughts and ideas to another person. I believe you get language by the, the more you speak and have conversation with people. And also by uh, the reading that you do. I think that encourages you a person in thoughts and in words that they had come up with. We have an example of that with, what was it, braggadocio. I had to ask our uh, smart device in the house. I'm not going to say her name because she'll hear us. But I had to ask her if that was an actual word because Nana used it in... I forget what we were talking about, but you said, oh, it's just such braggadocio. I think I was talking about somebody that I could, can't remember who. I can't either. But it goes to show, though, you've learned that word from all the reading you've done. So if I asked you, Grandma, what is your background in linguistics? Would you say that for 84 years you've been reading? Yes, I have. I feel like much. you have. <laughs> I think I started when I was about four or five. Okay, so around the time Churchill gave this speech. Right. Oh, my goodness. And I'm never happy unless I have a book around that I'm reading. It's so true. And this is just a bonus for our audience and for my teacher and for me. You have always read, 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 read everything and have encouraged us kids to read, me and my three siblings. And we're just a bunch of family of readers. We are. But you always read. And it shows also technology. I highly doubt when you were five years old, there was uh, Audible. <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> but there could have been. Which, you know, there is now. So that's cool. But I'm going to bring us back to language. And our second, our second topic or element will be pragmatics. So pragmatics is the study of ways people use language in an actual conversation. So for example, you and I talking right now, I can say funny things to you that make sense to you in this conversation. But if we had, you know, someone of importance in the room, such as Winston Churchill, who's since passed, but if he were here, you and I would have very different language, wouldn't we, in our conversation? Yes, we would. We, we would. So to put it plainly, or if we look at the heart of pragmatics, we will find language and context. So there's another famous speech, Grandma, that you were alive for. I am blanking on the year, but when Ronald Reagan spoke in West Berlin giving his famous speech. Do you recall that speech? Yes. 
that speech was, he ended up with Mr. Go, Go ahead, Gore. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. He did. And he wanted freedom for the uh, children and grandchildren of the future. Yeah, which is, I mean, you and uh, Bub, Bub is my grandfather for those listening, uh, married to Nana. He and Nana were married for 60 years. But Bub and you always took us to the presidential libraries. And when we went to Reagan's, where is Reagan's located, Grandma? Simi Valley. Simi Valley, okay. When we went there, I think the first time, my friend Brianna and I were there, and we had no idea the importance of this piece of wall. But now looking at it through, you know, I think we were teenagers and now I'm 28, the, the, the power of that wall, right, in the context of that wall. I, do you think any other person could have said those words and had the outcome that we have now in America, well, America and the world? You know, I really don't think so. He was a, a fantastic speaker because he had been a, a movie star. That's right. He had a very uh, wonderful speaking voice, and he was able to deliver the lines with the right spacing and the right timing. That's true. what I'm blanking, Grandma. Can you help me out? He was called, what was his name? The Great Orator. The Great Orator. I don't think I mentioned that in my paper. I should have. Well, if my teacher's listening, I know that. So bonus points. Just kidding. But if we look at pragmatics and how pragmatics is the study of ways people use language in actual conversation, I think he said the right thing at the right time. Don't you? Yes, I do. Where were you when the wall, when, when that speech happened? I'm trying to think of the year. Again, it's in my paper. I don't, I should have pulled that up. I think it was, was it in, he was president in the 80s, wasn't he? I was not around then. I have no idea. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, um, let's see. The year was 1987. Right, so I was living here in California, just busy raising my family. True, okay, so. To I give... don't remember the specific of the day that. Uh, it happened. That it happened, but it uh, obviously made. Headlines around the world. Around the world. And it was not a short time later that the wall was torn down. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And there are pieces of that wall all over the uh, museums, all over probably the world. I know several I've seen here in the United States. There's a website, actually, I believe the Heritage Foundation or even the Ronald Reagan Library itself has an amazing um, resources for people mm-hmm. if they want to go look at look that up. Yeah, I know there's one in the Nixon Library, a piece of it, and there is a piece of it in the uh, U.S. Um, Air Force Museum back in Dayton, Ohio. That's right. I've seen it at the Nixon because we've gone to the Nixon mm-hmm. as well. And I've seen the one at the U.S. Air Force too. I don't think I've been there, have I? Mm-mm. No. But if we were to, we could do a whole podcast, Grandma, on this sentence. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. He doesn't say, Gorbachev, tear down this wall. No, Mr. He gives him that, mm-hmm. what's that word I want? He gives them that respect. Respect. He does. He doesn't just say, yo, dude, tear down this wall. Again, that's a whole study right there of linguistics, of pragmatics you and I can do. And linguistics really isn't your thing. History is, but... Right. 
It's amazing that we can make all these ties, can't we? Yes. All right. So in my paper, I say uh, that only Reagan, with his status as the president, with the context of the speech set during the Cold War, could deliver the speech that rocked the world using pragmatics, language, and context. Reagan was able to use words to impact the world, not just his world but the whole world, which I thought was interesting. And it's a common theme in my papers for this final submission. So we're going to now shift. I'm going to ask you about a specific date, Grandma. You might not remember it. You might. I'm hoping you do. April 4th, 1968. That was the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. How many children did you have in 68? I had two. Two. How old were they? Um, one was five mm-hmm. and one was three. It just oh. hit. Wait. Yeah. Mom was born in 65. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just hit me that mom was alive when Martin Luther King Jr. was alive. Right. And auntie. Right. Oh, goosebumps. So you don't, I mean. I, I, we, we were having dinner with friends. Oh. That night. And I remember, I'm not sure what time of the day that word was splashed around the world that he had been assassinated. But we had dinner that night with friends and they're sitting there talking about how shocked we were that this could happen. It was the second assassination in, uh, well, the first was in November 22nd in 1963 when uh, President Joe, uh, John JFK. John, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. And then Auntie was just a baby. Yeah, she was only about my first child was just uh four months old. And then that was a, a terrific shock to the world. Because that was the first president that had been assassinated since Abraham Lincoln in eighteen sixty five. That's right. And uh, the world was sullen. Yeah, it just practically came to a standstill for a short time. And now here it is, 1968, and we've had another assassination. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a big shock to the world. We were the, the country was a big turmoil. Turmoil. Yeah. With uh, racial unrest. Yeah. And if we take that into what you and I are talking about, language or linguistics, we're, we're coming up on the topic of communication versus language. And that night of April 4th, 1968, Senator Robert F. Kennedy, he faced a restless crowd that had congregated to hear Kennedy's presidential campaign. Wow. And you talking about JFK, who had been assassinated prior to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was assassinated then two months later, correct? Right. April, May, June. In June, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Right. But that night that we're talking about, Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, he told a crowd, a massive crowd, about... It, it, it was his... He was having... He was running for president. Mm-hmm. And it was, he was to give a campaign speech asking people to vote for him. Instead, he, he scrapped that speech. He came on, and he, it was his 
sad duty to announce that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. And he gave a great speech about peace and forgiving and not causing riots and things like that. Not being, uh, what I want to say. Well, he's on that memorable night, he, you said this, and I actually borrowed it from you. He chose comfort over anger. He yes. chose love over anger. Right. And my point in bringing this whole thing up is he communicated with the crowd rather than saying language, rather than just using words. words. He quotes his favorite po- I I was able to show Nana, uh, for the audience at home listening, I was able to show Nana a clip of the audio of the speech of Kennedy that night. And he quoted his favorite poet. He, you could tell this was on the fly, right? It did not. It was not a composed speech. He hadn't had time to prepare. You hear him in the beginning saying, "Oh, do they know about King? Do they know about King?" And no. And he was told not to give this speech. He was told to, to turn away. Right. It was a speech from his heart. Yes. And that night, where he was, it was in Indianapolis. He. There was no riots that night where the speech was made, which I think is phenomenal and beautiful in and of itself. And there were riots in other parts of the country. Riots all over the country, according to my research. But language may have the power to touch every part of our lives, but it's how we choose to communicate. And I think at the beginning of this, Grandma, when you were saying it's about reading, it's about how two people can have a communication between them, that that's what this is, right? It's it's Nana and I for the audience at home. Whenever COVID nineteen comes to an end, whenever we have whatever we need to be able to move around the country, we want to go and see that beautiful statue they have in Indianapolis of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King reaching for each other's hands. It's beautiful. People should Google it if they're listening at home. Yeah. That will be a fantastic. Yeah, it really will. Statues to see. So in conclusion of this fantastic podcast, can you believe, Grandma, we're almost out of time? No. Yeah, it's already been 18 and a half minutes. Wow. It goes by fast. So what I need to say is my answer to what is language. So for me, without communication and the deeper meaning it holds for civilization, we would not have the branches of language that we do. If we did not communicate, there would be no point in you and I talking about language and power, pragmatics, or even linguistics itself. When asked what is language, through this course of linguistics, anthropology 170, I've learned that what my answer is. Language is communication. Communication that is achieved through symbols, gestures, facial expressions, words, body language, speeches, by whomever, wherever, at whatever time. Language, to put it frankly, is communication. And through communication, we are able to use our words to impact our worlds. I hope you guys have enjoyed this first ever podcast of eBard's Two Cents. I want to thank Nana for being here. I'm very happy. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And I would love to encourage everyone in the words of Winston Churchill to never give up. I want people to be able to hear this podcast and maybe think to themselves, what is language? And be able to answer it for themselves. All right. Thank you, Nana. Bye, guys. Bye.